0: Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. It's been well documented in recent years that the national opioid crisis, a public health emergency that in many places has taken more lives than COVID-19, did not happen by accident. To the contrary, it's now widely understood that many aspects of this tragic situation are directly attributable to the actions of big pharmaceutical companies that irresponsibly push these highly addictive and highly profitable substances on an unsuspecting public. Thankfully, many of these companies and their owners are now being held responsible for their actions, at least to some degree, as a result of lawsuits brought by public officials and private citizens. Recently, in fact, it was announced by North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein that our state is likely to receive hundreds of millions of dollars as a result of the settlement of several of these lawsuits. Earlier this week, the Attorney General was kind enough to join me for an extended interview in which he laid out the details of the opioid settlement, as well as another settlement against a company that was pushing a dangerously addictive substance. Attorney General Josh Stein, welcome back to News & Views. Thanks so much for being with us. Hey, Rob.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: So much going on in your office these days. The Attorney General's office, the list of responsibilities that you have to contend with, continues just to astound whenever one reviews the website and the news releases. But Boy, top on a lot of people's lists these days is this massive opioid settlement that you have played a leading role in. It's a national deal, as I understand it, but it's going to have big ramifications both for protecting public health and bringing some funds to the state of North Carolina. Can you let us in on what's going on there?
1: Sure. There have been a couple massive settlements in recent weeks. The one from last week, a $26 billion national agreement, among the three largest drug distributors, Johnson & Johnson, a generic drug opioid manufacturer, all 50 states, and then literally thousands of local jurisdictions. It was just immensely complex to negotiate. And it's it's frankly still not done. What we've done is we've negotiated the deal. And now we're educating our fellow states and the local governments about its terms so that they can then join us. And if critical mass of states and locals join, then it will be finished. Okay. But It's the second largest state AG settlement in history, only exceeded by the Tobacco master Settlement Agreement from 22, 23 years ago. And it really has the potential to be transformative. What this is born of is the opioid epidemic, which is the deadliest drug epidemic in our history, our nation's history. And it has only worsened, sadly, under COVID over the last 15, 16 months. Because if you think about COVID, anxiety, job loss, loneliness, all of those features drive addiction and overdose. And so there's been an incredible increase in overdose deaths in the last year. What is awful about this is that so much of it is unnecessary. While a lot of people are dying of fentanyl and street heroin these days, so many people started their addiction to opioids with a prescription or extra prescription pills because these large pharmaceutical companies cared more about making money by selling so many pills than they did about people's health, well-being, and the impact on communities. And these funds, 26 billion, North Carolina share is going to be 750 million, and that's added to another hundred million that we secured about three or four weeks ago through the Purdue Pharma bankruptcy, where the Sackler family has agreed to contribute $4.5 billion of their own dollars. North Carolina's share all in on these settlements is $850 million. We also did a $15 million North Carolina deal, $600 million national deal with McKinsey Consultant, which had advised Purdue on how to turbocharge their sales. All of this means that North Carolina isn't going to have a ton of money And it has to be used to deal with the consequences of the crisis. It has to go to local communities where it will go for drug treatment, or it will go for recovery services, or it will go for harm reduction strategies to keep people alive until they're ready to get the drug treatment they need to live a better life. And that's a lesson we learned from the tobacco settlement, where because those funds have been essentially taken over by the General Assembly, and they're not used for tobacco cessation. We want to make sure that these funds go to deal with the crisis and make a difference in people's lives. Are you optimistic we're going to be
0: able to pull that off? I know sometimes there are countervailing forces in the General Assembly. They're jealously guard their control over the the purse in North Carolina government. Do you feel as if you're in a good position to make sure that that money really goes where it's needed?
1: Yeah. Every signal we've gotten from the General Assembly is that they they recognize how serious a problem this is. And they are happy to have the resources to dedicate to addressing the problem. And they're gonna get reports from DHHS on recommendations of how they allocate the funds. The other thing about these monies is because the local governments have sued as well, unlike in tobacco where it was just the states, some of the money is gonna flow straight to county commissions and some to city councils. And the same restrictions will be placed on them as are placed on the state in terms of limiting how the money can be used. It restricts that the money has to be used for a menu of different evidence-based strategies for dealing with the crisis. And they're going to have to abide by those terms. And it's going to, like I said, it's going to help people live better lives. And there are so many families out there. Well, first of all, there's so many families who have lost their loved ones, yeah. overdose death. And frankly, in, more, in recent years, more people have died of an ov- opioid overdose than died of COVID in North Carolina. But there are many, many, many more people who are alive, but addicted to opiates. And so they are having every day to go find somewhere, some pill or some heroin or something to put in their body to deal with the uh, addiction, the craving that their brain has developed. And we've got to help those folks put that behind them so that they can live their life where their, their first impulse isn't how do I find heroin today? Their first impulse is, is, how do I do something that's going to make my life better? And is going to make a difference in my children and my, and my spouse and my parents. And that's how we want to live our lives. And we want everyone to have that freedom that we are fortunate to have.
0: Well, we keep our fingers crossed. And we're so thankful for that effort. And we hope it uh, really does bear fruit here in the years ahead. God knows we really need it. Another um, addictive substance that's out there that has given rise to litigation in recent uh, months is the topic of vaping, nicotine abuse and, uh, and use, particularly by young kids. Uh, there's a big uh, firm based out of North Carolina that's uh, played a big role in that, right? The Jewel outfit, talk to us about what's going on there.
1: Jewel was this company that really came out of nowhere in 2016, and over the last five years, it's like they took the table and turned it upside down and, and we're dealing with the mess that resulted because one thing from the tobacco master settlement agreement that was good is it started changing cultural norms about smoking so that people don't smoke in restaurants and bars. anymore. They don't smoke in apartment buildings anymore. General assembly. <laughs> in the general assembly, even right. in North Carolina. And so we'd actually seen a dramatic decrease in teen smoke from the late nineties to about 2015 it dropped from 30% to less than 5%, which is a wow. massive public health accomplishment. There's something called the Truth Initiative. Yeah, There's of- realistic ads that aren't <laughs> so warm and fuzzy on, on your TV screens. The first one was the body bag ad. Yeah. Big deal. But now they don't advertise so much on TV. They're on TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, where kids are. And they have very sophisticated messaging to help kids avoid smoking. Well, since Juul came on the market in 2015-16, Smoking among teens has gone from 5% back up to 30%, which means that we've lost all of the gains we as a nation have achieved. And I refuse to see another generation of young people addicted to nicotine because the teenage brain neuroscientists said that the teenage brain has exquisite sensitivity to nicotine addiction, meaning that when a teenager inhales the chemical aer- aerosol of an e-cigarette laced with nicotine it goes deep into the lungs and it's very potent more potent than a cigarette in terms of the percentage of nicotine in it so kids use this product more than they do cigarettes because you can use them anywhere and parents right. don't even, kids are using it in their own bedroom they can right. use it in a car and a parent doesn't know it's being used right. they use it in classrooms and teachers don't know it's being used so kids do it for the flavors they get hooked quicker And once your brain develops a a neural pathway toward addiction as a teenager, you are much more likely in later life to be addicted to cigarettes, alcohol, methamphetamines, cocaine, opioids. And so stopping kids from using is so critical. That's why I sued Juul, the first attorney general in the country to sue Juul, because of the way they designed their product, marketed it, and sold it in a way that kids got their hands on it. Uh, and, it, and we saw the statistics to back that up. So Jewel agreed to resolve our case, sort of on the on the edge of trial. And they are paying the state forty million dollars. Again, it has to go for tobacco prevention or tobacco cessation, meaning helping kids quit. And they fundamentally are changing the way that they do business. They're going to change their advertising. No models younger than age thirty five. They will not be on social media. Where kids go, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok. They cannot use social media influencers to promote their product. All the things that they did that worked to hook kids, they can no longer do. And they have to have substantially improved age verification, not only online, but at point of sale. They're gonna have a new card reader at <laughs> the retailers, which I don't if you've flown on an airplane recently when you go to the PSA. They take your ID and put it in a scanner to determine valid rather than looking at it. Those are going to start popping up at retailers all across North Carolina to ensure the kids aren't using fake IDs to buy this product. We're really proud of the business changes that we've secured and the money, the payment that uh, is going to help a lot of teenagers. Another tremendous
0: accomplishment. Congratulations and thanks. We're talking with North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein about an array of topics. So we've been talking about addictive substances and the lawsuits that he's brought successfully to bring some of these corporate giants to justice. Speaking of justice, there's the whole realm of criminal justice is another area in which obviously the Attorney General plays an enormous role in North Carolina, both in terms of making sure that people who are uh, guilty of crimes, uh, are convicted due time in prison uh, if necessary, but also in assuring that we have a justice system that is just, that actually prosecutes people who are truly and convicts people who are truly guilty, that it is not a system that's discriminatory or based upon race. I know there's been an enormous effort going on for some time now, to, especially in the aftermath of all the the tumult of 2020, to bring a much higher degree of fairness to our criminal justice system, particularly as it pertains to race. There's been a, a governor's task force on that topic that you've been co-chairing. Talk to us about what's going on there. Uh, I know you've, you've made a lot of important recommendations. It's a little tougher sometimes getting these through the General Assembly. Where are we with that effort? And what are your hopes and, and concerns in that realm?
1: I think that you did a great job articulating the fundamental goal of our criminal justice system. It, it's to keep people safe. And we can do that and treat people fairly at the same time, that those imperatives are not in conflict. Although too often throughout our history, they have been. And if you look at the measures of the criminal justice system, Black people are treated differently than white people. Uh, just a one crystal clear example that sort of lays it out is, is marijuana. If you study who uses marijuana, Uh, White people and black people consume it at very similar rates, about 14, 15% of people of each race. But if you look at see who is arrested and then who is convicted and sentenced, it is disproportionately black and brown people, over 60%, when as a state, those populations are about 30%. And that's not right. Even if it's illegal, what you want to make sure is that punishments are meted out without any disparity among races. If, if it's bad for a black person to do it, it's also bad for a white person to do it. So we have studied the system. We've seen where the disparities exist. And this task force that the governor put together that I've been honored to co-chair with Anita Earls, the justice on the North Carolina Supreme Court, it is comprised of about 25 people representing the full spectrum of stakeholders in the, the system from, from chiefs, from sheriffs, from DAs, to judges and county commissioners, to public defenders and justice involved individuals, and criminal justice reform advocates. So really, everybody's viewpoint has been included. We came up with 125 recommendations that cover the entire criminal justice system from from start to finish. That was the work of year one. The work of this year and next year is about implementing those changes. And Governor Cooper was clear that he wasn't looking for a a blue ribbon commission report that went on a bookshelf that read as cited in some academic paper. He wanted a guide to implement, to make changes, to make the system work better for every North Carolinian. And we're working hard on that front. There are a number of bills in the General Assembly. And and I want to just address the, the partisan issue that There is so much dysfunction, and that dysfunction is real. I don't want to gloss it over and be Pollyanna-ish, but because there is dysfunction doesn't mean that everything is dysfunctional. So on the opioid settlement, I was the lead negotiator along with Herbert Slatery, the Republican Attorney General of Tennessee, and our committee of about 14 states was, if it wasn't 50-50 split, if it wasn't 7-7, it was 8-6 or something like that. So Democrats and Republicans as AGs can work together constructively, and Democrats and Republicans in North Carolina can work together constructively. The Republicans have advanced in recent years a number of important criminal justice reform issues, like raising the age and mm-hmm. or work on expunction and reentry, and there are some very good bills that are still proceeding at the General Assembly that if they don't take the languages explicitly from... The task force recommendations—they come from the sheriff's recommendations or the district attorney's recommendations—and they're all very, very much aligned. Uh, So those are—they're still in process; those aren't finalized. But there are other changes that can be made in other ways. The governor has created a commission to review juvenile sentencing for himself—that he has authority to do the. Criminal Justice Training and Standards Commission and and Sheriff Training and Standards Commission, both of which are in my department, the Department of Justice, are looking at accreditation issues to increase the professionalism of law enforcement agencies across the state. They're working on trying to figure out databases. Officers that run into trouble in one agency don't go from one agency to the next. It's called the wandering officer problem. They're trying to solve that problem themselves. And... There's so many things that are happening at individual law enforcement agency levels and individual prosecutorial levels and individual court system level that don't require law. And we are uh, working with all of those various stakeholders to help them prioritize what changes they want to implement.
0: We'll keep our fingers crossed to be watching that very closely. Obviously, you, you don't in, implement 125 recommendations overnight. I'm sure it'll it'll take years to do, but it's absolutely necessary, absolutely overdue. Our time is limited, but I'm with Attorney General Josh Stein. I want to ask you about a couple more topics, though, that you've been active on in recent weeks and months. One is this issue of lottery scams. You put out a note, uh, notice recently about, you know, we've heard about the COVID lottery. We're going to have a chance to Maybe get some money if, uh, if we're one of the people lucky enough who's been vaccinated. There have been some scams on that. Uh, it's hard to imagine, but people take advantage of just about every crisis. So we're seeing some, I gather some scams out there that people need to be aware of.
1: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Basically, whenever there's a new crisis, particularly <laughs> one where money is involved. So we saw under COVID, when there were the economic impact payments, what we're seeing now under the American recovery plan where there's the child care tax credit oh. or with this that you've just identified, the vaccine lottery scams, where the governor has created a million dollar pot to incent people to go ahead and get their vaccine. So whenever there's something new that's in the news that people hear about, but they don't really fully understand yet, that is the recipe for scammers. And they will pounce and they will come up with some twist where in the instance of the vaccine lottery scam, they represent that they are from the Education Lottery Commission here in North Carolina and that you've won and that you need to give them information. And then if they put you on the hook, they'll say, you actually need to make a tax payment before you can get the proceeds. And people, they get there, they're so excited or they're so, depending on, sometimes they're afraid, right? Like they'll say, I'm from the IRS and there's a federal agent coming to arrest you if you don't pay me immediately. Mm. So They create fear or excitement. And when that happens, the way our brains work is the rational parts of our brain just goes to sleep and the excited part of our brain where we don't make as good of a decision comes to the fore. And that's what they try to exploit. People just need to realize that bad actors are out there trying to take your money at every opportunity.
0: So you all had a a toll-free number. It's at eight seven seven five no scam right? If you have something to report, you've got a concern about
1: that, people can call and I gather maybe get some advice or help from your office. What I ask people to do is whenever anything comes across the plate and you're just not entirely sure and you're confused, the best thing you can do is just press pause, hang up, call my office, eight seven seven five no scam. There are professional consumer specialists who can advise you. Yeah, this is legitimate. Oh, no, 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 no. This is a scam. Do not hang up the phone right now. So it's always better to ask before you act.
0: One last scam I want to ask you about, its I guess we'd refer to it that way, something y'all have been speaking out about recently as well is ransomware. This is something that's really frightening to a lot of us because we're not sure what it, what it even is. We assume it's bad actors maybe in another country who are online. We've seen that they've actually held giant corporations uh, up for huge ransom payments, colonial pipelines, disaster we had here recently in North Carolina and throughout the eastern part of the United States. I guess the advice here is don't click on those mysterious messages you
1: get in your email, right? Or on, or when you're online. That is the number one thing is just be so cautious. People will send you something with an attachment and you'll think, well, I kind of want to click on that attachment. Once you click that attachment, it can install malware on your computer. Now, ransomware happens to you and me as individuals, but where the real money is, yeah. is when can get a big company, even a small company. I know of a solo practitioner lawyer, his entire law firm practice was shut down. And of course, we heard about the big one with the gas, natural gas pipeline. And the best way to protect yourself is don't click on anything from anybody you don't know. Even if you do know them, what I do is I will call them. If it comes off a little weird, I'll say, did you send me an attachment? And they'll say either yes or no. And I know whether to click it or not. The other thing that everyone should do, whether it's your home or work, is back up your data regularly. Because if somebody, let's say you have a small business and they put ransomware on your system and you've backed up the night before all of your data, you can say, screw you, buddy. I don't care what you got. And then upload the data on a new system. We want to give people that kind of autonomy where they don't fall victim to these ransomwares. They're so much on the rise. We get reports of data breaches, and there were over 1,600 data breaches reported to our office last year. More than a quarter of them were ransomware and growing. And presumably, people should be very careful with their
0: passwords, change those a lot, make sure they're different for different sites. There are techniques of doing that. People probably should avail themselves of that, too. We all get a little lazy with our passwords sometimes.
1: Mine are all Rob Schofield 1.0. (laughs)
0: funny mine were were josh stein what a coincidence mr attorney general thank you so much for being with us thank you for protecting the consumers of north carolina Um, all of us really from so many um, of so many of the things out there in the world these days that we got to be careful of and for working for some very important reforms as we go forward to make our state a better place and in particular, protecting our kids from some of these uh, scams and uh, abuses from corporate bad actors. Thanks for being with us, and I hope we'll talk to you again later this summer.
1: Thanks so much, Rob.
0: Enjoyed it. Coming up next, a new national study has some troubling findings about the impact of race on the well being of hospital patients.
1: And we'll talk to the author. Stay with us.